when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Um, yeah, I am the David Koresh of uh, sustainability. No. <laughs> yeah, that sounds <laughs> great. I'm quoting great. <laughs> um, long live the bar Christiania. <laughs> I'm Helen Holliman, Editor-in-Chief of Munchies, and welcome back to Munchies, the podcast. So we've left LA, we hit the airport's duty-free shops, and we've just touched down in the world's food capital, aka Copenhagen. To get this visit started, I'm meeting up with Matt Orlando, owner and head chef of the incredible, super ambitious restaurant Amas. When Matt first arrived in Copenhagen over 10 years ago, he immediately headed to its infamous Christiania neighborhood. And today, that's exactly where he's taking me. Christiania is a squat in the center of Copenhagen. Or at least it started out as one. Back in the early 70s, hippies, anarchists, and soon-to-be punks began taking up residence in what was then an abandoned military zone. Four decades later, this community soldiers on, with nearly a thousand permanent residents maintaining Christiania while rebuking the government's efforts to exercise control over the independent microstate. So we settle into a cafe along the infamous Pusher Street. Matt Orlando is sitting across from me. He holds the distinction of having worked at some of the world's most renowned restaurants. He's been at Le Bernardin in Per Se in New York, The Fat Duck in London, and he was also head chef at Noma. A few years ago, Matt decided to strike out on his own here in Copenhagen, using all of the experience he's gained at those incredible restaurants to open his own. He might be taking a few subconscious cues from Christiania, but he's trading the hippie bio for the fresh scent of compost. So can you describe where we are exactly? The Everyone, everyone basically, the says it, it's a free town. So this is in the middle of Copenhagen, which Denmark itself is somewhat of a conservative country. Um, but ironically, in the center of the, of Copenhagen, there is a, a portion of the city that was taken over by hippies in the 60s uh, when the military moved out, and they've just basically squatted, and they're still here. The government let them stay. Um, they have their own laws, their own rules their own trash system, their own, it's, they don't pay taxes, and you can buy weed and hash on the streets here. <laughs> That's not the main reason I come here. <laughs> so tell me about the first time that you came to Christiania. What was it like? Oh, man. It was, I had just moved to Copenhagen. It was 2005, and I came here with a, a friend named Tim, um, who was a living with him for six months took ten years off my life. He liked to have a good time, <laughs> and uh, we came here at night. And I walked in here, and I 
You know, when you first move to Europe as an American, everything is cool. Even if it's really shitty, it's cool because you're so European. The apartment I lived in, you have to walk down five floors and take a shower in the basement. And I was so stoked because it was, I thought, it was, this is European, man. This is. So I came here for the first time. It was just, I couldn't believe. I mean, I'm from San Diego where, I mean, smoking weed is like drinking a beer. And, but to come to a place where it was just so open and free and people were just walking around and it was amazing. I feel like I belonged here. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything that's missing in San Diego. <laughs> so do you remember what you did that first day when you came out here? Yeah, I smoked weed. <laughs> then I don't remember what happened after that. <laughs> Fair. So, you know, you've been in Copenhagen for quite a while now. And, um, you know, tell me about like the first year that you were here. What was it like for you transitioning from the American restaurant scene into? Well, I kind of had a, a softer transition because I was actually working in England for a year. Uh, before I made it to Copenhagen. And the restaurant I came from, the Fat Duck in England, was very, it was amazing in so many ways, like technique-wise, but it wasn't product-focused. And I was really looking for something that was new and modern. My, my training had been really classical before the Fat Duck. So I was really looking for this this mesh between modern food and but really product-driven. And when I came to Copenhagen for the first time, I was just coming for a week uh, just to hang out and I ended up staying for two years and because I, I started at Noma and that's when Noma was had been open for like a year and a half when I started and it was really it was exciting because it was a restaurant that had never really existed before and we were kind of trying to figure it out and we were made fun of I mean the, our nickname within at that time in Copenhagen all the top restaurants were French and Italian and really looking to the south of Europe for inspiration and we were really looking for to the north of Europe and we the nickname in the city uh, everyone called us the seal fuckers because we were oh what do you cook with seal blubber and so it was it was an exciting time because we were we were just on kind of uncharted territory so what was it that made you want to stay in Copenhagen um I really I think it was amazing because the you could feel something was kind of bubbling in the restaurant scene and also, coming from England, England just kind of felt a little bit like, I mean, all my English friends are going to kill me for saying this, but an extension of America. And coming to to Copenhagen was, it was so, it was such a European feeling, had such a European feeling to it. And just, it was old too. There were so many, I mean, the apartment I lived in was 350 years old. It was amazing. And that's older than the United States. It was, it was in the history and the, the, there was just so much history and culture here. And it was an amazing, and, and I just met really cool people right when I got here. And I think that was a big part of it as well. But the restaurant scene was something was happening and you could feel it. There was something exciting going on. And, and so it was, I just wanted to be a part of that. I mean, and all my friends back home were like, what the, you're leaving the fat tuck. That was the 2005, the year I was there. It was the year we got number one in the world, too. And they're like, you're leaving the fat duck to move to Denmark? Was that the capital of Sweden? What is, like, all my friends back home were like, what are you doing? (laughs) But I just, there was, like, a feeling inside me that I had to be here. Everyone here, I mean, I've, I've worked in big cities, and in most big cities, it's more about one upping the guy, the next guy, and stealing his cooks and stealing his ideas. And 
here it's everyone just collaborates everyone's friends i think the city is too small to to really have any of that negative kind of back and forth that's good i think one of the most amazing things about this city to me is that keep there's so much focus on new nordic that people seem to have a perception that maybe it's these dogmatic hipster vikings that speak a secret language that nobody else can penetrate but actually you go into a kitchen in copenhagen Danes are the minority. It's, yeah. it's made up of such a interesting multicultural mix that... So that's Lars Hennerskoff Eriksson. He's our Munchies Denmark editor. Which I think is hugely beneficial. Yeah. You know, if you if you go to... It's funny because in I talked to a lot of the guests and they're like, oh, wow, you... I haven't have really had one... Could we all the chefs serve the food at, at a mass? And uh, there's no... I keep like Australians are coming out and and people from New Zealand and English and Canadian like I don't know, are there any Danes that work here? <laughs> We're like, well, we have one Dane in the kitchen, <laughs> and it's funny because if you if you look at the majority of the the top restaurants that are kind of in the limelight in Copenhagen, they're all run by foreigners, and it's this kind of weird. It's this it's this weird kind of. A situation where you know the, this food revolution is happening in Denmark, in Copenhagen, but it's kind of—I mean, I—and I don't say this in a negative way. I've just—it's just factual. It's—it's it's kind of happening without the Danes, and you—it's something that I mean. I've talked to a couple of journalists, and they really want to write about it. They don't know how to write about it without sounding negative because it's not I don't think it's a negative thing I think it's a, it's cool that there's all these foreigners that are coming here and and that's and that's not to say it's all the restaurants are run by foreigners I mean there's some really the studio and Cadeau and these are all Danish um, that are that are running this that have kind of left and come back and are doing something really cool uh, but I, I it is true like a lot of the top restaurants English is the spoken language in the kitchen because there's so many foreigners that are coming here to work now which I think adds like Lars said, adds a real kind of eclectic mix to the to the restaurant scene here. You have all these people that aren't from here that are coming here to work. So, of course, they're going to kind of gravitate towards other foreigners that are here working as well because they all have that kind of being away from home situation in common. And so the, the restaurant community is super tight outside of outside of the restaurants. Kind of if, if you go to on a Sunday, if you go to the market, if you haven't seen somebody in a long time and you want to see them, you just go to the market on Sunday. And chances are, at one point, they're going to be there. <laughs> Specifically at Ija de Sanchez, the, <laughs> the target spot. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it's that also sense of community. Like, I, I know, because a, a lot of people, they won't just come here to work at one restaurant. They'll come here and they'll kind of, over three or four years, they'll kind of move around and work at different restaurants. So, in doing that, you you meet so many people that are also doing the same thing. And there's like it's very ancestral here. Everyone just kind of switches, cha- exchanges cooks, and people move around and, and stuff like that. So, I think that's one of the coolest parts about Copenhagen and the restaurant scene here is that it's just such a diverse community. So you have a very interesting uh, relationship with your compost. Oh yes. <laughs> Actually, I want to ask you, Lars, how would you describe the experience of walking into the backyard at a moss to see? what's growing out there and how it all works um i suppose it's a bit like going into a botanical garden rather than a restaurant it's kind of amazing as a diner to 
to go somewhere where there is that much attention to every single process. I mean, some people might think, oh, what the hell, I just want to eat nice food. I don't care what these guys are doing. But if you just has a, you know, if you have a tiny little bit of interest in, in what goes into the food that you eat, it's, it's kind of amazing. And you don't understand the half of it because there are fish pooping in the water that somehow turns into nutrients <laughs> that then feed the plants and then you get these beautiful little micro seeds and yeah i think it's quite astonishing to um, to witness and also just to see it as a diner just to feel it smell it and taste it is especially smelling the compost your the love of your life oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i know how does your wife feel about that uh she's getting used to this uh, kind of threesome relationship that is going on right now. <laughs> so walk me through your actual compost because you have an incredibly complex system and then describe how that's actually... Well, it's, it's our, so the last three years have been this kind of exploration of how do we ourselves deal with the amount of organic um, kind of stuff we would throw away. How do we... How do we deal with this and how do we process it? And we, oh yeah, we'll just, I was so naive in the beginning. I would just throw it in a container and let it sit and that's what's going to happen and you have compost. And that is far from what happens when you do compost. It's like this constant, you ha it's, it's like a, having a pet or a wife. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I love you, honey. <laughs> um, our zero waste policy is so aggressive and, and we're really using everything. Now, it's the thing, is there anything you don't throw out? Because I noticed last time you seemed to recycle tea bags and yeah. I uh, mean, we, candle lights. and Yeah, I mean, Jens, so I'll just give you some numbers right now because I, I just gave a talk in Malmo about running a sustainable restaurant in the future and, and I had done a bit of uh, logging of how our waste is distributed. And... The average restaurant produces 68,200 kilos of waste a year. Of that, 84% goes to um, the landfill and 16% goes to recycling. At a mass, we produce 43,200, uh, approximately 43,200 kilos of waste a year, so about 20,000 less. Um, and... 22% goes to the landfill and 78% goes to recycling. Wow. Whether it's through the compost or we, we separate all of our hard plastic, soft plastic, metals, uh, porcelain, our non-compostable food waste gets taken by a company that puts it through a fermentation process and traps the methane and turns it into biofuel. Like it's So we've kind of switched or flipped the numbers. And, and I, I really don't feel like we're even close to being where we where we can be. It sounds very Christiania. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Long live the Var Christiania. <laughs> so going back to this idea of, you know, getting the staff on board, you know, how do you do that without sounding like David Koresh, like come into my cult and, you know, what is it that you, you, you tell them? You sound exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> and the people, that, the good ones, they come. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it's really about the people you hire. And I think we, the hiring process, I mean, I say the hiring process, but it's pretty limited because we've really only had one person in the kitchen leave since we started and one person in the dining room leave since we opened in three years. So we don't really have a really 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A program for hiring people. We've hired a, a few people since then, but most of the people we've worked with before and it's most people we've hired because I know they have the personality to kind of carry this torch and buy into it. I think we probably almost hire more on personality than skill because you can teach a skill, but you can't teach someone open-mindedness. And it's a big part that, that I remember hiring the first cook in the kitchen after Scotty had left. It was the, the one cook that's left in the kitchen. And I was super nervous about hiring someone because we just had such a, a synergy in the kitchen. And, and then, uh, I mean, we had had a few people come in for trials and I just wasn't feeling it. And there was this guy staging just for, he was there for two months. And I just remember he was an American worked in New York for a long time and we were up in the dry storage he was cleaning the dry storage and I was kind of going through the pickle fridge and uh we were just having small talk and I said so where, where are you going after this and so I'm going to Miami and then I'm coming back to Relay and I plan on being in Europe for like six months and he was American I said six months how can you uh he was a really good guy and I said how, how can you stay in America for or stay in uh Europe for six months you're only allowed here 90 days he goes, oh, my dad is Swiss. I have a Swiss passport. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so then I I wooed him, took him out in the garden. It was late summer, a beer, <laughs> and just had a chat after service on a Saturday night about what he wanted to do. and Showed him your compost. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, yeah. put your hands in the compost yeah. and just rubbed it all over your face. Very, and very erotic. <laughs> 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 Me and the compost. Um, I know, and... Uh, and I just asked him, are you looking for a job? And he says, I'm always looking for the right job. And, and he stayed. So, and he's, it's a year later, he's still there. Wow. So. so, you know, thinking about restaurants and sustainability in general, why do you think it's such a tough thing to champion um, for a lot of restaurants that are out there beyond Copenhagen? I, I really think people think that it's going to cost them a lot of money to change to this way of working and it doesn't it doesn't cost you really any money it costs you a little bit of work in the beginning like I said before but it's really if you commit to it and it's not and you don't you don't kind of keep looking back and say oh it'd be so much easier if we if we did it like this you have to commit 150% to it because it is you you have to switch your your mind your way of thinking and and it's not just like separating your waste and, and saving water and, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's really also looking at the, the, the real way to, to combat this is looking at the way you cook. That's, that's the core of it. I mean, like I said before, it takes, we're producing six times less organic waste because of just the way we're cooking and looking at our products and, and examining the whole product. Like I, an example I gave uh, in this talk last week is that I said, you know, when we get a carrot in, we don't, I mean, the first thing we do, we don't even look at the carrot. We flip it upside down and take a bite of the greens. Okay, where can we go? Because we know the carrot's going to, that's the easiest part to work with. But what do we do with the greens? 
do we and we've really I about six months ago we came into this technique where we're using all the stems left after we pick greens and then the tops of different plants that are usually you I mean could be a lit kind of little tough or something when you eat them and we add two percent salt to the weight of this stuff lactic ferment them for five days dry them and grind them to a powder and it tastes like seaweed do you ever get worried that maybe some of this environmental focus takes focus away from what's essentially the most important thing of a dish which is delicious delicious or what you eat I mean it's fantastic that uh, parsley stems can be turned into something that is almost as uh, umami rich as uh, seaweed but is it a compromise sometimes to do this or Mm. do you feel like you're not getting the perfect ingredient no I I think I think like I said before in the beginning when we started doing this I think we did compromise sometimes because we wanted to use everything and of course we're still making we're still making good food but I feel now that instead of being forced to to do something with a byproduct we are we're our brains are working in a much better way now we really examine the byproduct and and study it and figure out okay the thought process basically goes like this you have a byproduct we look at it and the first thing we look at is why is this a byproduct what about it is unattractive to people then we spend all of our time trying to fix what is unattractive about it and make it delicious whether it's the bitterness whether it's the the sandiness whether it's the texture then we basically we go after that element and make it delicious and it's and in saying that we would never now we would never just do something to do it it has to be delicious that's the most important thing now and i think in working this way it now it influences the way we cook and it's it we're not we don't have like the main product and we're like oh shit now we have this byproduct we have to use it what do we have to do with it now it's kind of okay this is the dish we're going to put on this is the byproduct that it creates we're not putting this dish on until we figure out a delicious way to handle the byproduct and then that's how the process goes what's a dish currently on the menu that is a great example of that so we have a we have a we have a product um, it's called back school and this is a it's a salted and smoked and dried fish that's really it's an old technique that they've done in Denmark up in the north of Denmark they have these old smokehouses and that's where they do it it's a flat fish like a place and a lot of people just get it in take all the flesh off and just use the bones uh, to like, infuse it into a sauce to make it smoky this kind of smoky fish and it's it's delicious but essentially you're taking this whole fish and just extracting some smoky flavor out of it and then discarding the whole fish we have we have basically taken the whole fish the bones obviously we use to infuse into stocks and then after that okay now we have the flesh so we grind the flesh and then we freeze it. No, sorry, freeze it, grind it, and then we in hot oil and deep fry it, and it becomes the smoked fish crumble. The skin we take, and we infuse it into a neutral oil, and we toss cherries and uh, yogurt curd and horseradish in it for this little kind of salad with fresh beans. Um, 
the bones after we make the stock we cook it 80 degrees overnight uh, on steam and then the next day dry them and then deep fry them and they become completely soft and crispy so it's that's an ingredient i really feel like we've conquered like literally nothing goes into the garbage and then just in relationship to the farmers we when when a mass opened i really wanted to work in a different way than i had worked in the past i didn't want to tell the farmers like what to give us and what size i wanted the farmers to tell us what was the best at that particular time and and you know you can have a vegetable in season for two months but there's only like a small kind of time period within that two months that they are like peaking and that's that's when we want them and if you tell the farmers you know that's when we want them and i don't care if it's 10 kilos or five kilos or or whatever and i don't care what size they are the farmers get really excited about that because they're used to to people okay i only want like three centimeter long radishes and i don't i i I, the tops have to be perfect and for me it's as as a chef if it tastes the best i don't care what size it is what it looks like you should be able to process it into something that looks beautiful or tastes beautiful or so that's that was kind of a it took us a while to get there with the farmers because they weren't used to that and they're like tell us what you want we're like no you tell us what you have and so it took a little more work on that on their side but in the end they were able to actually sell us stuff that they couldn't sell to anyone else because like i remember going to this farm before we opened and the it was kind of late winter and the whole ground of the barn was just covered with these perfect carrots that were like 10 centimeters long and no one wanted them because they were the wrong size and i said to ask the farmer i said ask i'll take i pick one up wash it off and ate it it was amazing i said i'll take every single one of these next year and it inspired a dish and for me it's still one of the best dishes we've ever done and it's like on the menu at in situ now in san francisco and and it's it's like the quintessential dish that means that has so much meaning of how we work in, at the restaurant. So that's that was a new way of working for us. And you also here you have a direct line to the farmers. I mean, most of our farmers deliver the food to the back door. There's no middleman. So you can have this conversation every other day when they come. That's like, oh yeah, so yeah, yesterday the it seemed like the the strawberries were a bit watery, and they're like, oh yeah, because it rained, and you know. If you if you wait a few days and it dries out, though, the flavor will come back. And so you have these conversations every day with them. Or, or what's coming up next week? Uh, oh, yeah, next week we'll have this. So it's not like call this guy, this guy calls that guy. There's something lost in translation. It's like a direct line to the farmers. If there was one thing that you would like to see happen here in the next 10 years in the restaurant community, what would that be? I would love to see everyone kind of go in the direction that we're going and have sustainability and and kind of this this consciousness of of your waste kind of become common practice because i i think we're such a small restaurant community that we definitely have the potential for this to happen here and the with the sense of collaboration that goes on within the city i think that we it's possible i i think it's going to take a few years i mean 10 years is a good a good time frame but this I think if it happens in Copenhagen, what happens here now really affects what happens in the world of gastronomy. People are really looking to Copenhagen right now. But it, that, that would definitely be my dream. As 
it, we become the city that not only has great restaurants, but we have restaurants that are responsible. Do you feel like you're building your own Christiania? A little bit. We're like the Wild <laughs> West out there a little bit. We kind of <laughs> like big bonfires every night. and <laughs> So I think eating seasonally, I think, is the, the next kind of step to get people on board, the general public, that is. I only eat hemp and apples this time of year. You're, you're my dream customer. <laughs> what is it like eating hemp? Because I've certainly never done it. And why would you eat it? Um... It's like the flavor of hemp is really interesting. It's the flavor profile definitely falls in like the same as like oregano or marjoram or or something like that. And it really has an amazing, when we used to make cakes out of it. So cook the hemp in butter and then use the butter to make cakes. I don't know where I learned that from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I, the flavor that comes through is, is really interesting. And you, and people don't, when people eat it, they don't know what it is. They're like, wow, this is really, it's really like herbaceous. And you, they can't, until you tell them, they're like, oh, yeah. Um, but there's only one person in Denmark now that's allowed to grow it for consumption. And unfortunately, we can't use it anymore because he's not certified organic and we're at a certified organic restaurant. But I had a conversation with him last or was it last month because he called me and he said yeah I, I talked to this guy who's also growing hemp to make clothes out of and he said he was selling you guys hemp for the restaurant and I said no we've only <laughs> ever bought hemp from you that was last year and and uh, he's like well just be careful because he's not licensed to sell it to as an edible and because obviously you can't have any THC in it and and uh, so it was interesting it's like this farmer hemp hemp farmer battle that don't buy it from him and don't buy it from him very similar to uh, what's happening behind us here in Pusher Street exactly yeah yeah, I can smell it (laughs) mom I know you're probably listening so no we didn't buy any weed and since our visit I'm sad to report that some things have changed in a really big way We recorded this interview back in early August. A few days later, violence erupted on Pusher Street when a 25-year-old gunman, a suspected drug dealer, shot two police officers and a bystander. He was not a resident of Christiania, but his actions will have lasting effects on the community. Residents of Christiania have since torn down the market stalls selling hash and may now be compelled by the Danish government to introduce video surveillance. Thank you so much to Matt Orlando and Lars Hinnerskoff Eriksson, our Munchies Denmark editor, for welcoming me into Copenhagen and helping me navigate the wild world of Christiania, especially with a bout of jet lag. We're just getting started in this amazing city, so check back in two weeks when our Copenhagen Chronicle continues. In the meantime, check out all of our delicious Munchies content over at munchies.tv. Hit us up at Munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, too. And if you like the show, go rate us on iTunes, because it actually helps us out. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll catch you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.